Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to look at Matthew 11 verses 25 through 30. Likely some familiar verses to, to some of you. These are really sweet and precious verses for us this morning. Spoken by the Lord Jesus. Matthew chapter 11 beginning in verse 25. If you don't have a Bible or a copy of God's word, you should find the words on the screen this morning. God's word says this. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of God. One of the challenges we face when we come to God's word and to reading scripture is, is the distance in time and culture between the world of the Bible and our modern world. We we are 2,000 years removed from the world of the New Testament. And so there are some things that we can plainly understand, some things that are quite clear, but then there are also terms and ideas and, and metaphors that we encounter as we read that are strange to our modern ears, much the way uh, some of our modern terms and idioms might sound weird to someone who's not familiar with, with our world. So think about how weird it would be for an ancient reader uh, if, if we use the term with them, running on fumes. It, it, it is a term that refers to being out of gas, which is a way to say that a person is exhausted. They spent their entire energy and they have nothing left to give. But to a reader unfamiliar with uh, the invention of combustible fuel, uh, the phrase would seem strange and, and unfamiliar. They would have to do some, some digging, some uh, investigating to, to understand what was being communicated. And we, we run into the same issue when we encounter certain terms and ideas in Scripture, ideas like the idea of a yoke. Unless you're an older person in the room who grew up in a rural setting, uh, the concept of a yoke is likely lost on on most of us, it's an agrarian term. A, a yoke was a wooden beam placed between two oxen or two, two other animals for the purpose of making them work in pairs to pull a load. It, it united two animals together. It was a farming instrument. But in the, in the days of the New Testament, uh, it took on uh, an added meaning. The word also became a metaphor to refer to being connected, being yoked to something else, either a person or a teaching. We're probably most familiar with this term in reference 
uh, to marriage. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, the Apostle Paul exhorts believers not to be unequally yoked to an unbeliever. This was a way of saying that, that a Christian, a follower of Jesus, should not enter into the bonds of covenant relationship with someone who is not a follower of Jesus. But in that day, you might also use the phrase a different way. You, you could use this idea of being yoked to refer to a person following a certain teaching. It could be said that someone was under the yoke of, of, of Moses to say that they followed the law, the teachings of the law. It, it communicated submitting to a particular teaching or to a particular belief system. And so if we were to employ the same metaphor today, we might refer to a person being yoked to, to Fox News or to MSNBC. Those are pretty polarizing. Or we might say uh, a person is yoked to the Republican Party or to the Democratic Party as a way of communicating one's political commitments. Many Jews in the, in the first century were uh, what we might say, under the yoke of the Pharisees. Meaning that they were doing their best to, to follow all of the rules and all of the regulations and teachings that the religious leaders of their day had set in place. One commentator I read explained that the law was given by Moses and the Pharisees considered themselves uh, the, the official interpreters of the law of Moses. And so they promoted themselves as authorities in Israel. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 2, Jesus referred to these teachers of the law as men who sit in Moses' seat. And what he meant by that was that they claimed the authority of Moses as teachers of the law. They demanded that all in Israel not only submit to Moses, but also to submit to them. And that individuals in Israel recognize themselves not only as disciples of Moses, but that they also recognize themselves as disciples of the Pharisees. And what the Pharisees had done is they had, they had codified the Mosaic law into some 365 prohibitions and some 250 commandments that were required by all those who followed them to submit to their interpretations. So they had rules about everything. They had rules about the Sabbath. God had given the law through Moses and said, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. What the Pharisees did is they came behind Moses and they said, well, we have to define what it means to keep the Sabbath. And so they had all of these regulations, all of these rules about what it meant to keep the Sabbath, what constituted and did not constitute work on the Sabbath day, how far one could walk on the Sabbath, what they referred to as a Sabbath day's journey. Any further distance beyond what they defined as a Sabbath day's journey was considered work. Anything less was okay. They had rules about tithing. At, at one point, the New Testament references the fact that the Pharisees even tithed from their herb garden. They tithed their mint and their dill. They would bring these things to the temple as an offering, and they expected others to do the same. They had rules and they had regulations about literally everything. And in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 4, Jesus says of these Pharisees and of these scribes, they tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders. The, the yoke... The teaching of, of the Pharisees in Jesus' day was a, it was a heavy load to bear. It was hard. Their, their regulations were overwhelmingly burdensome. And their rules were virtually impossible 
to follow. And so the result was that many people walked around in Jesus' day feeling guilty and shameful and, and downcast and discouraged. They felt beat up and oppressed because they just literally could not keep up with the rules of the Pharisees. They could not maintain the yoke that they were under. And this is what legalism does. In, in the end, legalism crushes the soul. It holds out the promise of knowing God. It says, here is the way that you can know God. Here is the way that you can have relationship God. It promises salvation by means of a ladder that you must climb. And, and the subtle lie of religion is this, that if you can ascend to the top of the ladder, you'll experience the deep fulfillment that you're longing for. And so just keep climbing. Just keep climbing because eventually you're going to get to the top. And at the top, there's rest. And there's peace. You'll find God at the top of the mountain. And so you climb. Do this. Don't do that. You climb. Eat this. Not that. You climb. Look this way. Dress this way. Talk this way. Memorize these verses. Learn these rules. Associate with these, this group. Not this group. Hey, fight for this cause. Don't fight for that cause. Fight for, for this cause. Tweet this. Don't tweet that. Ad infinitum. We, we just keep on piling the rules. But here's the reality. You never reach the top of the ladder. You just keep on striving and performing and comparing and self-justifying, but never resting, never resting, because there's no peace under the yoke of religion. It is a treadmill of trying to pretend your way and perform your way into the presence of God's pleasure. But the workout cycle never ends. Religion will never give you the life and the rest and the peace that you're longing for. The truth is some of you guys are trapped under the yoke of religion this morning. You keep telling yourself the lie that if I just try a little bit harder, if I just do a little bit more, then I'll get a sense of peace, a sense of rest deep in my soul that God is pleased with me. Friends, this is not the message of Jesus. This is not the gospel. This is the yoke of the Pharisees. This is the yoke of legalism and religion. The truth is we're all submitting ourselves to some sort of yoke. We're all connecting. We're all attaching ourselves to some belief, some idea, some pursuit of finding the rest and the peace that we long for deep in our souls. Jesus calls it rest for your soul. Now, some of us have explicitly perhaps latched ourselves onto the yoke of religion. Others of us may have latched on to, to more subtle or, or secular yokes, things like accomplishments and comforts and relationships. Often many of us believe that if we can, if we can just do something notable that will garner us recognition and respect, that we will feel more complete when we're younger, we tend to do this through athletics. We, we think, if I can just be the best athlete, or maybe through academics, if I can just be the best student, then I'll have a sense of, of peace in my soul. I'll have a sense of fulfillment in my soul. We want to do something notable, something that, that gains notoriety and recognition. As we get older, we start searching for this through our careers, if I can just be good enough in my corporate setting, 
then I'll have fulfillment. Or maybe we get restless and we seek it out in some entrepreneurial endeavor. We, we want to be known for something, to be respected for something, perhaps even to be famous for something because we think that fame will bring us satisfaction. We tend to think that worldly greatness will satisfy our souls. Others of us look to comfort because we believe the lie that with ease comes rest. We want life to be easy because we think that this is the path to the good life. This is the path to flourishing. And so we, we run to things like money and wealth or maybe to minimalism or even to the avoidance of pain, thinking that if we can insulate our lives away from worry and strife, all will be well. Still others of us look to a relationship. We believe that the right person can give us true Fulfillment. We want to say with Reese Weatherspoon's character in Jerry Maguire, you complete me. Or I'm sorry, that was, that was Tom Cruise <laughs> to Reese Witherspoon. Now this search is, did I say that backwards? Whatever it is, it's been a long time since I've seen the movie. <laughs> this search is often through a romantic relationship, but not always. Sometimes we can look, look for uh, a child to fulfill us or a deep friendship to fulfill us. But the hope is that the right person is going to come along and fill the hole in our heart. That the right person is going to come along and give us the, the, the longing, the deep peace and, and rest that we're searching for. And so we look to accomplishments and we look to comforts and we look to relationships. But Pastor Tim Keller points out that even if you attained all of these, none of them last. In a talk by Keller that I listened to this week, he quoted Wallace Stevens as saying this, in contentment, I still feel the need of imperishable bliss. And what Keller says Stevens meant by this is that as the years go by, you realize that even when you're enjoying something, you know it's going to go away. The enjoyment won't last forever. I was reflecting on this this week, and I immediately was taken back to my childhood every Christmas morning. I remember as a boy how excited I would be in the days leading up to Christmas. You would see more presents begin to pile around the tree, and you just you couldn't wait for Christmas morning. But then Christmas Day would finally come. And even as I was unwrapping the presents and the joy of of those presents, and they were always great presents. My parents always spent way more than they should have on me. But even as I was unwrapping them, a malaise would, would subtly come over me because with each present unwrapped, I realized that Christmas Day was fading away. The day would soon end. It would no longer be Christmas, and I would have to wait another 365 days to experience this again. It's, it's strange to say, but sometimes I would feel melancholy on Christmas, and I would wish for it to be Christmas Eve again, because then the excitement of the unknown gifts would still be there. And that's how it is with the things we attach ourselves to, believing that they can fill the the hole in our heart, that they can give us the peace and the rest that we're searching for. When we get a taste of them, they leave us feeling melancholy. I wonder what yoke you've come under this morning that keeps leaving you with a sense of malaise, that keeps not fully satisfying. Can I get personal with you for a minute? 
I have for years personally struggled with the yoke, with the burden of needing to be successful, of, of, of wanting and feeling the need to prove myself. At times, I've made planting a, quote, successful church into an idol. Looking to the church's success to complete me or, or to validate me. The truth is, ministry is often a great place for really insecure people to hide. Because we can couch our insecurities in religious effort that sounds spiritual. My insecurity, I think, at least in part, my burden, my, my, my attaching myself to the yoke of success is at least somewhat rooted in wanting the approval of my earthly father, which I feel like I've never truly had. And, and so somewhere deep down, I've believed this lie that if, if, if I could attain to success in ministry, that then I would experience the validation I long for. If I could prove myself in that way, it would lead to rest. I would feel complete. But that belief is a lie. That's a yoke of burden. What about you? Maybe you've believed a, a similar lie. Maybe you've believed the lie that an accomplishment or, or a status or an investment or a relationship can lead you to a place of rest. We're all attaching ourselves to something. We're all in the pursuit of peace for our souls and we're going somewhere with that. And, and to all of our vain efforts, to all of our empty pursuits, Jesus says to us, I want you to take my yoke upon you. Jesus steps into our desperate search for fulfillment, and he says, come to me, all you who are weary and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me. Because I'm humble of heart, I'm lowly. And you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus calls us to be yoked to him. To step out from under whatever it is that we've attached ourselves to. Be it religion, be it success, whatever. And to be united to him instead. To take Christ's yoke upon you means to submit yourself to his authority. It means to put yourself under his rule, to follow him, trusting in him to give you the deep rest that you're searching for. Now, there's a paradox here, right? Because Jesus calls us to come out from underneath the heavy yoke of something else that's weighing us down. And that sounds great. Be freed from the rigor of religion. Be freed from the worry of accomplishment. Be freed from the, the disappointment of ease. That all sounds great. But at the same time, he, he calls us to come under his yoke. And John Bloom insightfully asks, if, if what he promises us is rest, why does he tell us to put on his yoke? Is Jesus offering us rest or work? Maybe you sit here and you say to yourself, why can't Jesus just free me of a yoke altogether? Wouldn't that be great? Well, I think it's because to completely cast off a yoke the way that Jesus is using it is, is still to try to do life apart from him. And in the end, that would prove to be more burdensome than being yoked to Christ. 
Jesus is saying, you'll never find peace outside of me. If you want true rest for your soul, come to me. Pastor Keller says, only submitting to the yoke of Jesus can truly give you the peace and the rest you're searching for. But you must come under it. If you want deep inner rest, you must let Jesus dominate your life. He must be your Lord. You must take his yoke. You must be united to him, not merely admire him from a distance. Charles Spurgeon says, we find rest in the fullest sense when Jesus is the master. We we rest through obedience. And if I can be bold this morning, I think the reason why some of us don't feel restful and why we don't truly have peace in our lives is because we're playing church instead of submitting to Christ. Some of us are are actively fighting against the yoke of Jesus like a stubborn ox. And you must commit to the yoke. You must submit yourself to Christ and, and receive the promise. But you only receive the promise when you submit. Then you will find rest for yourselves. That's a promise, by the way. Jesus says if we come to him and take his yoke, we will find rest for our souls. An old pastor tells the story early in his ministry of of helping teach at a small rural church. And, And so he says one day as he went out with one of the elders in the community to visit in that community, he he saw an old farmer out in the field plowing with a team of oxen. And as he observed the pastoral scene, he said he was struck by the imbalanced team of oxen. One was a huge ox and the other was a small bullock. And the ox towered over the little bullock that was sharing the workload with him. And so he was perplexed to see this farmer trying to plow this field with such unequally yoked oxen. And he commented on the imbalance. And he says, at that time, the man with whom he was riding stopped his car and he said, I want you to notice something. The large ox is pulling all of the weight. That little bullock is being broken into the yoke, but he is not actually pulling any of the weight. The old pastor then brings his point home when he says, in the normal yoke, the load is equally distributed between the two that are yoked together. But when we're yoked to Christ, he bears the load. And we who are yoked with him share in the joy and the accomplishment of the labor, but without the burden of the yoke. The tragedy, he says, is that some of us have never been broken into the yoke. Now, if we were in black church, somebody would be saying, my, my, my right now, but it's okay. Y'all can stay quiet. John Tavis is trying to help me. Jesus tells us to take up his yoke, and he invites us to learn from him, to walk with him, to fellowship with him. But this is no burden for us, see, because he has done all of the heavy lifting. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He is the ox and we're that little bullock. We're we're yoked to him. We're connected to Jesus, but he bears all of the weight. He does all of the heavy lifting. He does all of the work for us. All the weight is on him. The weight of perfect obedience is on Jesus. He has lived the life we could not live. He has been tested and tried in every way as we are, yet without sin, fulfilling all righteousness. Jesus has stepped under the heavy burden of the law, and he has borne the load. 
The weight of sin's penalty is upon his shoulders. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was in utter turmoil as he sweated drops of blood, looking down the barrel of God's righteous judgment and wrath upon humanity's sin, knowing that he would soon carry his cross up Golgotha's hill to die for the sins of the world in order to secure our forgiveness through his atoning sacrifice, his own body paying our ransom with his blood. As, as Keller puts it, he experienced cosmic restlessness in order to give us rest. Jesus has endured utter turmoil so that he could say to you and to me, I will give you rest. And so he says, come, come. All of the heavy lifting has been done. Now, this does not mean that Jesus promises us that life will always be easy. He doesn't promise us that life will be pain-free. But he assures us that he is humble and lowly of heart. He's not like the Pharisees who tie up these heavy loads that are hard to carry and then put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. No, Jesus gave his life to lift the load. He moved from heaven and earth to earth to lift the load. He understands our pain and he walks in relationship with us. In all of our struggles, Jesus has said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. See, when Jesus enters into the yoke with us, he'll never bail out of it. He is committed to us. And so he tells us to cast all of our cares and all of our anxieties on him because he cares for us. His spirit assures us that whatever pain and trials we face, they will pass and soon we will reign with him forever. Indeed, as the Apostle Paul put it, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us, present sufferings pale in comparison to the glory that awaits. And so Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So come to me, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray together. Jesus, as you would often say to the crowds listening before you uttered a parable or a teaching, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Spirit, we pray that you would open our ears this morning to hear the invitation of Jesus. Lord, I know that there are people in this room weary and heavy laden worn out, worn out from trying to carry the load, worn out from trying to find peace and rest apart from you. The strange thing is we can do a lot of religious churchy things and be exhausted by them because we're not actually fellowshipping with you, Jesus. Free us from that this morning. Help us to learn, as Eugene Peterson says it, the unforced rhythms of grace. Spirit, come and 
set free this morning. Give us freedom. As we sang earlier, help us to trust and obey. It's so sweet to trust in Jesus. Help us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.